Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with your friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. With your friend. I like that. I am your friend. Yeah, that's right. I have, that's a great change. We should have just had it be that from the whole time. I know. Where? Where? where how did I drop the ball your for so Your friend long? and mine. Our the, friend. The always um, jovial, never grumpy. The ever-loving. The ever-loving. Well, that actually goes down somewhere where else. All right. That's, <laughs> well, hello. Hi, Nate. My friend and yours. Your your friend and yours. Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive. All right. Should we change that for next year? Change what? The intro to be your friend. Oh, next year? Why are we waiting that long? I, I From now on, <laughs> from your friend sure. and mine. From, <laughs> from this day forward. I, I like that better. You, you threw me for a zinger there. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about tonight? Oh, Isaiah. Uh, I, I can't mean, wait. I'm excited. I, th- this is like my favorite section. If I, could, if I could put any section of the Old Testament on a pedestal, it would be Isaiah and Genesis. Those are like my two favorite sections to talk about, I think. I'm with you on Genesis. I'm not smart enough to be with you on um, <laughs> Isaiah, but I am with you on Genesis. I'll try to help that. All right, let's work on it. And we haven't we haven't gotten a ton of emails or questions about Isaiah. I I'm assuming that you guys must you got it figured out. You yeah, know what you're know. doing. Yeah. So keep us keep us in line as we talk about it. Then, if you do, send us a, send us an email or or post on our website or however you want to shout out at us. Let us know and and see if there's anything we can help you understand in Isaiah because I know it's not always the easiest for everyone to understand. Um, what, uh, we have some announcements. Yeah, yeah. So, this week, To Know Him, it's a podcast by Emily Crapo. She had me on her show a couple weeks back, or months back. I can't remember. It's been a while. And we talked about Isaiah 40 through 47, and so she dropped her episode today. If you guys want to go listen to it, uh, check it out. It, it was fun. She does a really good job. I, I appreciate the fact, with the Come Follow Me curriculum, that you have so many content creators that that are coming through, diving in the scriptures, and that we're able to have this discussion, and that you guys are willing to listen to this, and and that there is a lot of dialogue going around about the the scriptures, and maybe helping everyone to understand the scriptures at a different depth. It's it's great to have that much content out there. Love it. So, what's the name of the podcast? One more time. To know him. Let me let me just make sure I'm not saying this wrong. To know him, come follow me. There it is. All right. Um, what else? Yeah. So with uh, summer being over and school kind of starting back up and we're, we're in the fall and, and holidays just around the corner, we're trying to get a special Christmas episode put together for you guys, the listeners, as a kind of show our appreciation for, for you listening to the show. And and we want to, to find some of the greatest moments that, that we've had here in Weekly Deep Dive. So we need some nominations. And and initially I was thinking like greatest hits, greatest misses. I don't I don't know if that's the way we want to categorize this, Nate. I basically we want to just do a collage of all of the uh the highlights of the year. Top ten? Partly or so collage. that partly so that if we ever just need to Hey, what's your podcast about? We'll be like, oh, basically you could go listen to this. It's a it's a the year cap. The problem is, is if I do all the nominations, it's going to be, you know, when we're talking about dinosaurs in heaven or sharks in heaven and stuff like that. So that was a great episode. So that, by the so, way. so I I would say you probably shouldn't leave me to my own devices when it comes to this. Um, but Jason, I like that idea. So, but if you if you if you guys have any nominations of of what would make the 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 hit the the hits list. A year and, in review. And maybe, and maybe we need different topics. Like maybe maybe the greatest uh, takeaways, you know, the, 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 the moments when you see things from a different perspective and you're like, wow, that, that really resonates with me. Maybe the greatest moments of the show that really resonated with you and you felt were powerful and walked away and say, this was awesome. But at the same time, I also want like a category, the greatest... Uh, things that maybe you laughed at like when Nate's rolling in here with his final countdown going through the begats I mean that's that's got to be somewhere at the top of this list I we need that 
I'm, I'm nominating that. If you're nominating sharks in heaven, I'm nominating the begats. So let us know. Give us some nominations so we can kind of put together a, a special episode here towards the end of the year. Yeah, year in review. Yeah, I like it. All right, that's, that's all I got. You got anything, Nate? All right, here we go. Isaiah. And, and I think typically it's Isaiah 40 through 47. I am including 48 in this week. I, I, I feel like 48 goes a lot better with this, this section than it does the next section. So we're, we're roping it in. And in these chapters, the Lord is speaking about the redemption of Israel and taking them home from Babylon back into the land and how he's going to redeem them, how he's going to strengthen them. And we get some really beautiful language, so some really comforting verses after going through last week's destruction and like walking through a dark alley at night, getting ready to get jumped. Like it was, it was dark talking about all the destruction that was going to happen. And now we're, we're getting into the sunshine and rainbows, if you will, part of Isaiah, which, which is great. And he's, he's going to have some frank conversations with the world about who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. And, there, and there's some powerful takeaways that we can, we can get from this. Let's start in chapter 40. And starting off just at the beginning, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And, and here we're kind of setting the stage. My people are going to be coming out of Babylon. They're going to be established. It's going to be a very beautiful thing. And, and he's going to start asking some questions. And he's going to start engaging the nations and the world and really everybody and trying to challenge them and say, come at me with whatever evidence and arguments you have and see if you can repri- um, reproduce, replicate what I as God am able to do. So you can see this at verse 18, to whom then shall you liken God? Or to what likeness will you compare unto him? He's done all of these magnificent things. Who's like him? Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or who shall be your equal, saith the Holy One? And then he says, keep silence. Chapter 41, verse one, keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together in judgment. And he's gonna start going back into the questions again with them. Who raised up the righteous man from the east? And he's gonna go on a couple of different sections talking about Cyrus and Persia, letting the Jews go free from Babylon back into their area. And he said, who, who did all of that? Then he says in... Um, verse four, he answers these questions. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. The island sought and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. I did all of these great things. And, and here's an interesting point. You can look at it and say, well, didn't Cyrus technically do it? Didn't Babylon technically do it? This was written 200 years before any of that even happened. How can Cyrus take credit for something that God said he was going to do 200 years before and now Cyrus is doing it? Isn't he just doing what God already said he was going to do? So isn't he technically following God? God's the one that's ultimately taking credit. And and that's the point he's going to drive home towards the end of these chapters. Uh, I'm going to fast forward and and we'll we'll bounce around a little bit back and forth in this. Uh, This is Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He's challenging the world. If you don't believe me, I just lined out everything that's going to happen. Do your best to, 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 to frustrate my work. You know what I said. Go ahead. I dare you. Try to do something different and see if you can change the outcome. And then this is beautiful. 48, and this is why we're including 48 in this this week's discussion. Verse five. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it to thee, lest thou should say, mine idol hath done them, and mine graven image, and mine molten image hath commanded them. Don't, don't take credit for something that I'm saying happened. 
Don't try to create your false gods and think they're near as powerful as me. I've, I've laid everything out. You could do anything you wanted to try to challenge me, to try to change it, and in the end, you just proved me right. It's a powerful argument that God is making to the entire world, by the way. If we don't believe in God, then, then how, how do we explain these prophecies that are rolling out? And it's really interesting because God is making an argument that he is going to include history as evidence of him and make history like an entire work of art, like his writing that's going to ascribe glory to him. And, and I think that's such a beautiful con, uh, concept. Maybe, maybe we can take just a little bit of a, a detour and talk about that idea for a second. Nate, you, are you good with that? Okay, history. Here you have 200 years before, talking about Babylon, talking about Persia. We've already kind of been down this road. I don't want to keep flogging that. Just keep that in mind. Now start looking about how, how all of this came about and it wasn't frustrated and, and God was right. Now think about some of the other themes that have happened in history and, and how God starts doing it. Um, for me, take this, uh, I, I look at the Book of Mormon and, and this is an example that's interesting to me. Mormon has a son and he names his son Mormon as well. And it, it describes Mormon as a youth, as a very bright uh, young man and, and a very studious person. And because of that, when he's, when he's around 14, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in that time frame, the Lord appears to him and says, because you are who you are and, and, and how you are, I want you to go and get the plates from somebody else when you're, when you're older. I want you to observe everything that's happening and write them down. And then years from now, you go and you get the plates then you write that all down and you're going to be in charge of these plates. And he says, okay. And then his father carries him into a land northward when he's a young man. And so you, you look at all these details and then you look at Joseph Smith years later, hundreds of years later, and you again have a, a young man in his 15th year who, who God appears to him and his name is Joseph. And his dad, by the way, has the same name, Joseph. And he says, here, I, I, there's some plates that I want you to, to, to take, but you can't have access to them for years down. Instead, I need you to be studious. I need you to learn all you can and prepare for the time when a messenger will give you these plates and you're going to take them and translate them now. And by the way, when he's a young man, he has surgery on his leg, an operation that causes so he can't walk. And yet at that same time, you had a natural disaster, a volcano on the other end of the earth that blows up and causes a year without summer, the crops fell, and the Smiths have to relocate to a land northward, where this boy who's got problems with his leg is, is going to have to be carried for part of the trip. So now you have these similarities, and, and artistically, how it, it's, it's as if it's, I mean, how do you make history match so beautifully well in, in a written, as if it was a work of fiction? Sometimes you say that, that history, what, what is it, stranger than fiction? <coughs> Yeah, life's being stranger than fiction. I don't know. I, I, I think that's kind of just a beautiful a bookend to the Book of Mormon and then an opening to the modern dispensation where, where you're bringing it in. And, and there's more examples where history itself plays, plays itself out. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the year. At the beginning, you're talking about God and, and the earth being a paradise, Eden, in living with man in this garden and in the end, we believe that the earth is also going to receive its paradisical glory, that God's going to return to the earth. You're going to have the millennium. And so you're going to have mankind and God once again reunited in a paradise. And, and this is a, a chiastic structure where you're starting with A, you're ending with A. Well, let's take a next step to, to, to what follows after the fall. And, and you talk about, and, and just hitting some high, some some high points in history. When you talk about, 
Adam, when he takes all of his children, he gathers them together before he dies and he blesses them and he prophesies everything that's going to befall his, his generations, his sons. And then you talk about in the restoration when they prophesy that Adam will again return to Adam on Diamond and gather all of his children. There's going to be an accounting and they're going to bring that all in. And you start going back into this idea of the flood, when the earth was covered with water. Well, there's going to be a fire where the earth is covered in fire at the end. You have Moses and the idea of pulling Israel out of Egypt and restoring them in the promised land. But then there's going to rise up another in, in modern times who's going to restore Israel from scattered all over the world back into to an Israel. And you go through these chiastic structures and at the very center of it is Christ and his atonement itself. And it's interesting how history itself is beautifully portraying this. Who can make history over over 7,000 years into such a, a beautiful, coherent story, a, a piece of art, if you will. Because try as I might, how do I influence history even more than 100 years after my death, let alone 1,000 years? And one of the most powerful examples that I can think of of this so I'm, and just for argument's sake here, I'm just trying to pull in a couple of different examples to, to build a case. If we just find one instance of this, maybe, maybe we could just dismiss this as, as, as not that compelling. But if we start seeing all sorts of different examples of how God through all of history, and he says, I am great, who else can compare to me? Who else can turn all of history into a story like this? Look at the Passover. When you have Jews observing a ritual where on the same day each year they take a lamb and they slay the lamb and they take the blood of the lamb and they mark it on the post and they serve it with bitter herbs and they don't break the bones and they set up a place for Elijah and and they they they're very observant to this ritual for thousands of years and when Christ comes on the same evening of Passover is a lamb that sacrificed, whose blood stains the posts, who, who had vinegar served up to him when he was thirsting and they feed him bitterness instead of water. And they break the bones of the other people on the cross next to him, but not his own. How, how prophetic is that? That historically speaking, this act, this ritual of a people that by the way, to this day still reject that he was their Messiah, testifies to his role. History itself is saying, prove me wrong. Who else called that? I'm telling you, this is how it's going to play out. If you don't believe in me, change it. Can you do anything to stop what I've set forward? And, and miraculous to me, you, you look at the story of God and one third of the hosts of heaven being cast out and rejected and, and, and going down and not receiving a body. And then the two thirds that, that do receive a body and come here. And, and I look at God trying to tell us his story through history. We look at, at these, these Adam figures where, where it's a new father, a father of all the human race. And you've got the three sons, Cain, Abel, and Shem. Cain, Abel, and Shem. Cain, Cain Abel, and Seth. And Cain is cast out because he slew his, the, the, um, Abel. And so you have two thirds that are counted as righteous and one third that's rejected. And the story repeats itself through another one with Adam. When you have Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and Ham, who's once again doing something to... With Noah. Yes. Did I say Adam? I'm sorry. Yes. Noah as a new Adam. And, and Noah's three sons. And two thirds are counted as righteous, where one third is, is, is bringing shame to his father and, and, and kind of rejected to the priesthood, to the line. And you see the same thing with Lehi, with, with six sons and four out of six being righteous and two out of six being wicked and, and end up having this, this whole deal where, again, history itself keeps testifying to God, to his family, to his role, and he's challenging them saying, who can change that? Who can rewrite history? Who can, who can do anything to compare to what I'm doing? Kind of, I, I don't I love know. this. I think it's fantastic. And I like your point too, that it's at a certain point, if, if the prophecies keep coming true and he keeps getting it right, it's absurd to just continue to write it all off as coincidence. That's my thought. 
Yeah, who's who's the most powerful man on the earth today? Do you think? Uh, maybe Bezos or Elon, or you know the uh, the dark money that we don't even know about. <laughs> you know the dudes the dudes pulling all the strings, the and, Illuminati. I, I mean, you, you make a good argument for for these guys with their wealth to associate wealth with power and the influence that they have. And, and I would even argue the president of the United States carries a, a massive amount of power. Yeah, leading the maybe. Maybe, what can they do that that is going to have an impact on a thousand plus years of history? What president of the United States has changed world history to to rewrite it all for not just his lifetime but the lifetime of others extending out to a thousand years? Like this is the kind of I, I how do you do that without being a god? Yeah, I'm with you. Let's keep going. All right. When he's having this argument and he's inviting them to, to do this and, and he's saying, I've done it. Here, here it is. Here's my challenge. He's also going to incriminate them and, and he's going to answer an, uh, early on when he calls Isaiah and he tells them that uh, I'm just, I'm just going to go backwards a little bit and, and read this real quick. This is Isaiah chapter six, when he calls Isaiah and, and I think this calling is, this is something we didn't get to go into a lot of detail early on because we had so much we were focusing on. Uh, this is verse 7. Uh, excuse me, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. So the Lord's saying, Who will I send? Isaiah saying, Here am I, send me. We've talked about that. The Hinnani Shalachni, Behold me, rather than hiding like Adam, he hears the voice of the Lord and says, Behold me, all of me. And the Lord says, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. And, and that's kind of a weird verse. Why is God saying, you know, usually he's, he's sending out missionaries to tell the people, convert, repent. And now you hear this roll to Isaiah, tell them all these things and make sure they don't understand it. <laughs> that doesn't seem like good missionary work. And, and we get that answer in, in later on in these chapters. I think we get more context to that story because when he says, make their eyes... It, it, the verb that they're using in Isaiah chapter six is a he fill version, which is a causative form. And it's saying, make their eyes heavy. It's not necessarily saying Isaiah's making their eyes heavy. They're causing their eyes to be closed. They're causing their ears to be shut. They're causing, and what is actually causing it? Isaiah answers that question in, as I'm turning back to the later chapters, Isaiah chapter, sorry, 44. And the residue thereof, he maketh a God, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. So you see that language going back to there again. He's saying this people are building gods with their own hands and now they're leaning on those gods and saying, save me, you're my God, save me. But they, and, and here's where they, they have eyes, but they don't see. Can't anybody see that if you made a God, that that God is now subject to you, you are its God? If I, if I built a statue, that statue can't save itself. If it, if it were to tip over, it can't pick itself back up and put itself on the, on the podium. I have to go do that for it. So now I am the one that's God. But their belief in this, this God that's going to save them, this statue that they created... That's what's causing their eyes to be blind. That's what's causing their ears to be closed. And that's what's causing them to not understand because they're putting so much trust and so much faith in what they've built with their own hands. 
and and I think I mean we can extrapolate that even to to, to why people struggle today. Agreed. Yeah. Do you do you have any? Uh, I just think there's there's some obvious, profound, uh, not judgment, but some some critique or some observation on um, the modern world. But I guess it, as you can see, that it's been throughout history that we we build things that we let control us. I guess. And why would we do that? Um, I've mentioned before that I've been lucky enough to do some um, music for the minimalists. They have a you know a wildly successful podcast and have done a couple documentaries that have done really well on Netflix. But their their whole thing is is don't don't let your stuff um, basically become. The thing you. that controls you, yeah, don't you know, own stuff, don't let your stuff own you. But the point that they make is is the more things that we have, it just gives us more that we have to focus on, and it's just a, a distraction at a certain point. But if you look at the world around us now, you know, we've built all of these amazing technological things, and you know, do your does me being the most guilty of this is like is the distraction of this device that can sit in my hand and give me unlimited access to the knowledge of the world not knowledge information right um like we become addicted to these things right like really the things the things that we build really do control us but you also just look at you know weapons of war you look at so many of, you know, institutions and things that we build, governments and things like that, it's just, this is a pretty applicable prophecy, I feel like, even even for us in our day. Uh, what you said just hit me so powerful, Nate. Um, we, we, we invest so much time, resources, energy into building our own careers if you will uh, and and trying to create stability in our life and and we put a lot of faith and trust that that is where our salvation lies yes that that our career our education our our paycheck is is really going to be what saves us and we're going to lean on that more than what we're going to lean on god and and on one level i mean that really resonates with me and and we invest our time in, in trying to develop talents and, and trying to develop skills. And we forget that we, uh, we have eyes, but we don't always see that, that these things that were supposed to give us joy, that were supposed to give us happiness, that were supposed to give, I mean, it's natural, but we should be God over them when all of a sudden we become slaves to them. Yes. And, and that's stealing all of our time to where we can't dedicate time to our families or to what matters to God. Well, and maybe for me, I kind of take that a step further. And you, you brought up a great point is, are we, are we, are we relying on the things that we build for our salvation? Whether that be, like you said, um, physical things or, or careers or, um, a wealth, you know, a portfolio, right? A financial portfolio, whatever those things are. And again, like, dude, you know me, I'm the ultimate like free market capitalist. I'm like, make that money, right? But it's, what is the only thing that can save us? And that is God, right? Uh, We could, we could get all into the nitty gritty details, but let's just, let's just say without God, we cannot be redeemed. Um, But there is such a level of trust that comes along with that relationship with with God, which is, and and God made the point, and ha, and you've already brought this up in Isaiah, and that is, try try to put your gods compared to mine, and let's see who wins. God's saying, I'm calling the end from the beginning. I'm telling you at the beginning how this is going to end, and I'm right. Try to frustrate this. Good luck. Put your God up against mine. And and then he kind of even throws the challenge in too. 
these things that you build with your hands can't save you. Like you kind of brought up. It's like, dude, if the idol falls in a river, the idol's not popping itself back out of the river, right? You know, the, the, this, the, your, your false god or the god that you built with your hands can't even save itself, let alone you, right? And so then it, it, the, the whole relationship flips to a relationship of faith and trust, which is you can do all of these things and at the end of the day, you're just going to be frustrated when these things can't save you. They can't redeem you. Therefore, you're going to have to rely on the one thing that can and you're going to have to put your faith and trust and hope in the one thing that can. But luckily, we have, and, and it's being illustrated perfectly in Isaiah, we have an entire history to look at of the redemption that God has given his people, right? We have an entire we have an entire world history at our fingertips now of of when people blow it, God is still there to redeem them. When people blow it, God is no matter what, no matter what they try to do, no matter what battles they try to win on their own, no matter what gods they build for themselves, they're they're completely powerless, but God still loves them and is there to redeem them. Therefore, why shouldn't we have that same faith and trust and confidence that he will continue to do the same for us, right? And then and then hopefully it like the day-to-day application that can flip our perspective of yes, it is important to take care of your family and to provide. But if you're if you're doing that at the expense of your spiritual nourishment, if you're doing that at the expense of your calling, if you're doing that at the expense of the relationship with your family, and you see what I mean? It's like yes. if, 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 you're, if you're relying on those things to be the thing that, that by itself provides and takes care, it's like, yes, you, you may live maybe a more comfortable life, maybe, but, but then what, right? And that at the end of the day, God's, I feel like saying in this, the things that you build with your hands, you should always be the master of, and they should never be the things that control you. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's the perfect way to wrap it up right there. Like, like you were saying, if the, if the idols in the river relies on you to save it, just think, God created you just like you created that idol. Should you not in turn rely on God above to save instead of the workmanship of your hands? Then take that into our careers. Your career can be frustrated as simple as you, your choice. If you choose not to put in the time, if you start not doing your work, you can, you can flush that all down the drain. It's at your hands. So don't look at that to save you. Look above at what created you but also that like you said you are the master you be the master don't be owned by it, 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 it and a, a really point. easy way to do that is minimalize minimalize <laughs> there's my shout out <laughs> when i was doing the music for those minimalism documentaries which by the way like like nicest dudes in the entire world josh and ryan just the greatest guys and the point that they made that just continually hits home to me is just like the less things that you have to distract you in your life, the more time you can spend focusing on the things that are important, right? Yes. So, so as much as I, as you, you can look around the studio and see how much of a not minimalist, how much of a maximalist <laughs> I am, for whatever it's worth, th- these are things that help me do my job better, which I know is just an excuse. But for whatever it's worth, I think there's actually a pretty profound spiritual lesson in there too, which is... The, the more clutter we can get rid of in our lives, the more distractions we can get rid of in our lives, the more time we actually do have to focus on the things that are actually important for whatever well, it's worth. And, and I saw an interesting graphic uh, about a week ago. And, and what it was, it, it was a chart. And on your X, Y, you're up and down. Uh, so on your Y axis, it had time spent on, on TikTok. And then on your X axis, it was... Um, the the ability to focus on a subject or or tendency towards ADHD, and they found a correlation 
that the longer you, you spend on a day, and I, I think it's like going up to two to three hours a day, all of a sudden your ability to focus was, was almost nothing. And, and I mean, TikTok was singled out in this graphic, but you could take that and replace it with any, any number of, of distractions as you're talking about, you know, and a lot of social media, it's the same thing. It's just a scroll, right? Whether it's YouTube or Instagram or whatever the case may be. And we get caught up in this, this endless scroll looking to entertain ourselves with this mindless entertainment to where we're giving more power to something that, that's starting to rule over us instead of us rule over it. It's taking our time. And you see it in, in today's generation when we have a hard time focusing on what matters most. When we can't wait for answers to our questions because we have to know right now because we've lost that ability to focus. We used to wait. We used to wait. And, and that's a hard lesson when we come to the Lord and say, what, what is it? What, what is the truth? And if he doesn't answer us right now, well, that's on you, God. I'm, li- I'm done. I'm gone. Because we, we've given more power or credibility to what's distracting us in the now than, than God there. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a powerful lesson. And even though today we don't have these graven images and we're not sitting there making food and meals and sacrificing them to these false idols like they're describing in Isaiah, I think a lot of that process still does carry over with the workmanship of our hands that we give so much time and energy and power to starting to rule over us and, and distracts us and pulls us away from the Lord. And this section in Isaiah is just a reality check to all the world. Hey, can the workmanship of your hands do this? Go ahead. Tell me, how do you, how do you, if you think you're so great and your gods are so great, what, what major historical events have you prophesied over a thousand years? For all of you who keep saying that I don't live and I don't exist, bring me your evidence for me not existing. Because here's my case. It's a strong case. It's a, it's a pretty strong case. Let's keep going. Okay, this, this next was, was very fascinating to me and, and really an unusual type of Christ, if you will. When we're talking about the redemption of Israel... When, when Cyrus is going to come and free them from the Babylonians, the Lord is going to start comparing that to Egypt. So I'm in Isaiah chapter 43. For I, and this is verse three, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And the word ransom is kofar, which is the same atonement. Covering, price, ransom. He's, I gave Egypt for your ransom. And you're like, wait a second. Egypt, wasn't it Babylon that, that he destroyed to let them go free? Why is he making this, this reference to Egypt? And, and he's saying that Egypt was the price he paid. So here's, think back to Adam and Eve in the garden again. You have Israel who's partaken of the forbidden fruit. They've, they've decided to to create their own gods, do their own thing and, and choose a different path rather than wait on the Lord. And now he's going to cover their nakedness by paying the ransom with, with Egypt. And, and to me, the idea that a powerful, mighty nation had to fall. And, and in this case, we, we had Babylon falling with the, the Persians, but then he's making this reference to Egypt and, and, and let me see if I can make this connection even stronger. So this is Isaiah 44, verse 27. That saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Now think again, when did the Lord say to the waters, be dry and dry them up in order to free Israel? Again, he's referencing Egypt and Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Or is he? Look at this in verse 28. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And you're like, Cyrus? And, and shall perform all my pleasures, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to thy temple, thy foundation shall be laid. And you're like, oh, well, we're talking about Cyrus. What's this drying up of the rivers? When Cyrus conquered Babylon, Babylon had this massive 350 foot wall wide enough to race four chariots on the top of it. There's no way they're gonna be penetrating this wall of this massive, most powerful city in the world. 
But Babylon was built right on top of the river Euphrates. And in fact, the palace was built right over it and it, and it split it. And the, the city wall being built over it, they had these gates underneath in the river that the water could filter through, that people couldn't just go floating underneath the, the river. So what Cyrus did when he conquered Babylon is he diverted the whole river. He dug through and, and, and made a, 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 ca- a canal going into a swamp and diverted the entire river so it dried up the river so they could come down to those, those iron bars, those gates, and just, and just cut them out rather than having to go through this big, thick wall. And then they were able to take the whole city by surprise. So again, you have Isaiah referencing this destruction of Babylon to let the, go, the people go free back to Egypt and the destruction of Egypt. Remember, when Israel goes free, you have the plagues and this conflict between Moses and Pharaoh. And then you have the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his chariots going in afterwards and being drowned by the Lord. He's, he's taking this reference of Babylon falling and bringing it back to Egypt falling. And, and I thought, wow, is it a powerful nation has to die so that Israel can go free? And, and all of a sudden that started to resonate with me because God was the most powerful there was. And yet the only way that any of, any of Israel, any of us, any of anyone could be free from death, could be free from sin is if that God were to die. Was Babylon a type of Christ? Was mm. Egypt a type of Christ? And you start thinking about Egypt as a type of Christ. Not only is their death or their fall what sets Israel free in the beginning, but where did Joseph and Mary flee for safety when, when Herod was slaying all the children? Yeah, they went to Egypt, right? Yeah. And, and so Egypt becomes this image of salvation, this idea, almost a type of Christ. And Babylon, almost a type of Christ, this idea that a powerful nation, a powerful person that's greater than you is going to have to give its life to ransom you, that's going to have to pay the price and go back to this idea of the Garden of Eden, right? As they're coming out, in order to clothe their nakedness, he had to make coats of skin. An animal had to die to pay their price, to redeem them, to save them. All along, Isaiah is telling us these messages about how great God is, but the one message he's going to get at, the one that we're really even going to see harder next week is, Christ is coming. He is the Messiah. A God, the most powerful of all, is going to lose his life and pay your ransom and you're not going to recognize it. All of this to say, as great as God is, he's coming to pay for you. He's coming to redeem you. And, and that's really the heart of Isaiah's message, this, this prophecy. Now, I, the world prophecies and telling the whole future events and, and making history into a very poetic art is, is all impressive and amazing. Yeah, but none of it matters if. But that's it. That's it. The greatest is if you can see and believe in this, then you'll be able to see and believe in Christ. All of that to say, my servant's coming, believe in Christ. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I love Isaiah. Yeah, you do. I, I do. I don't know if I do him justice, but I love talking about him. And, and I hope, I hope some of this can, can resonate and, and make a little bit of sense to you guys as, as you're diving through and trying to understand I think it. The stuff, I think the stuff today is, I mean, I consider myself an Isaiah simpleton. So if the if the Isaiah stuff is making sense to me, I have good hope that it's making sense for other people as well. Well, and and he says some interesting things when he talks about being born again uh, and I knew you and formed you from the womb that we're actually going to carry that discussion on next week. So I, I think this about wraps Sorry. us up on this lesson. I love it. Do you uh, let me throw this out there real quick? Yeah. I wonder what cuz we've talked about in the past the idea of water being both destructive and I mean completely necessary for life there's I know we've talked a little bit about it in the past about the I think we've touched on it at least kind of the God saving his saving Israel by drying up the water and then that same water destroying Pharaoh's 
you know, chariots and stuff like that. I'm trying to think of the, like, the modern, if there is such, you know what I mean? Is is the apostasy kind of that thing where, where, the, where the word of God or the life-giving water was removed from the earth so that, um, I don't know, that it wouldn't, that it would, it would basically destroy or, or get rid of, you know, a wicked generation of people before, I don't know. I'm Fantastic try- question. Uh, typically, the water is associated with revelation. So when I pour my water out upon you that there's not room enough to, to I mean, it's, it's the heavens or the windows of heaven are open and water comes down. It, a lot of times it's being associated with revelation. And the, the byproduct of revelation, if you have water that's coming, then, then it's going to be watering your land. It's going to be watering your crops. Then the byproduct of having revelation is you're going to have the gospel. You're going to have food, fruit that you're going to be feeding on, right? And man doesn't live on word, uh, the bread alone, but, but the word. And, and the idea that bread comes because you had rain that, that, that fed your heart, your crops, Water's the revelation. The food is is the gospel that feeds you. The lack of food, a drought, then is your apostasy. And and a lot of times apostasy dries up because the, the, the drought follows. You have no revelation. You lose that connection with the spirit. And then what's going to follow if you let it stay long enough without revelation is the apostasy that, that's going to follow on its heels. I don't think I've ever made this association, but that it, that kind of plays into the uh, the Alma's um, faith analogy, right? Where you plant the seed. And oh, interesting. Part of part of part of the seed of faith growing is water or revelation, personal revelation, I guess, too. But but that it has. But without that, without that, the ground isn't barren. And that, I guess, also has a lot to do with the parable in the New Testament about the seeds being cast into different parts of the the road or the fertile land or anyways but it's it's interesting stuff i just i i I love how so many of the symbolisms um and kind of these little subtle parts of the story continue to recycle not only and show themselves through through scripture but you know we can look at a lot of that stuff through a very modern day lens as well and so when you were kind of talking about the the diverting of the euphrates or that life-giving river um, that was part of, unfortunately, part of um, ba- Babylon's destruction for them was that they were having that that uh, that necessary thing taken away from them. But I guess on the flip side, it's also ironic too, right? That during Noah's time, it's like the whole world was oh, wiped yeah. out with water. Well, <laughs> and, like and the, Jonah being the cast into the sea. Yeah, of the that's, storm. What I guess, that's what I like about that is that there's. There's always the flip side taking. of that is too, yeah. And, and in that case, water represents chaos. And you go back to the beginning of the creation because it was water that covered the face of the earth. Yes. And God has to put mastery on the water. And by separating water from the dry land, now you're creating order out of the chaos. And the same thing with the Sea of Galilee when it's all tumultuous and master cares thou not that we perish. And he's, I am the one that controls the water. Peace be still. And, and order versus chaos on one sense and then revelation on the other. And it's the same idea of, of, of pure water being life-giving where the salt water, and in fact, the, it, it's fascinating in history. You can almost tell a civilization how old it is based on how far away it is from the, the Euphrates River. Mm. Because as they would irrigate, they, they, would, they would cut their canals and their ditches and the Euphrates would, would flow over into the land. And as the water would sit there, because it's not, you don't have an inlet and an outlet, the water would come in the crops and just stay there and then it evaporate. And over time, as the water is evaporating, what's being left behind is the salt. And, and they salted their own land to where they, would, they could no longer grow crops. They mm. could no longer grow food. So they would have to move their city further away from the Euphrates and build longer canals and longer ditches because they've ruined it. This, and, and it, you know, you talk about that dualism, Nate. Yeah. I was going to say the salt. salt. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. As Preserve as you said that, life, I was like, the oh, savor. Man. Yep. Or it can destroy it. When you destroy a land, you don't want the people to come back. They salted the earth because then it would never grow crops and it couldn't sustain population anymore. <laughs> that's, I love this stuff. And, and as we're talking about dualism, 
Nate, can I go? We're there. Let's get there. Can I go one more? Let's go one more. Isaiah 47. Um, remember when we talked about the cows and the tinkling and the brass and the, yes, and the oh, beautiful yeah. women and they and then she's going to get stripped of all of that and have to sit in the dust naked? Okay, listen to this. Take the millstones and grind mill, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover thy thigh, pass over the rivers, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. Um, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness. Now, you're talking about a nation and this nation is being compared as a woman who, who's going to have to uncover her leg, uncover her privates, be naked. And, and we talked about Israel as they were losing their prophet, their mighty man, their men of war, as this clothing. And she's being stripped of all of this and, and exposed to her shame because she's no longer a great, powerful nation. This is not talking about Israel in this, in this particular instance. Verse uh, chapter 47. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the lady of kingdoms. Babylon is who's the one in this case. So look at how Israel and Babylon are constantly being described identically. Israel's called Sodom and Gomorrah by Isaiah. Now Babylon's going to be called Sodom and Gomorrah by Isaiah. Israel's the one that went into Canaan and destroyed the Canaanites and established themselves in the land. Now Babylon's going to come in and destroy the Israelites. Why did Israel destroy the Canaanites? Because they were wicked. Why did Babylon destroy the Israelites? Because they're wicked. They're the same people. But I don't know. It's interesting. Well, I think that I think there's an amazing point there, though, which is what Joseph Smith was told and and what others have been told throughout the scriptures, which is like, I can take this rock and raise it up into a nation. You yeah. Know what I mean, and and it's like as as much as you know the children of Israel were God's chosen people. At, at the end of the day, if they are if they aren't going to if they choose not to be His people, then He's then He rejects them, right? Then and and yes, He He redeems them. But I think that I love that there's a that there's a parallel brought up in these things because it's like just because just because of the covenant that I've made with you, if you're, un, if you're unwilling to keep up your end of the covenant or change it or pervert it, then, then I don't know you. Yeah. You're just, you're just the same as anybody else. You're any other nation then. I, I think it's summed up so well in the Book of Mormon when it says God is not a respecter of persons. If you keep his commandments, he, he will love you. Yep. I, and... <laughs> It, and sometimes it's Babylon and sometimes it's Israel. It just depends on who's willing to follow their creator. Killer. Okay, uh, so next week we're still in Isaiah. Still in Isaiah. And When do we get to Daniel? Uh, it's, com- it's coming soon. It's coming <laughs> I feel really like soon. I ask that every week. We have two, <laughs> we have two more Isaiah chapters. Ugh. And next is actually my favorite Isaiah chapters out of all of the Isaiah chapters we've covered. I, uh, next week is... My favorite Isaiah. And then Daniel? We have Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Who cares about those guys? <laughs> and Jeremiah, trivia for you, is actually the largest book in the Old Testament, the that longest book. That is so funny. Yeah, Jeremiah. He had it rough. Well, I mean... He had it really rough. He's not. He's, not, he's no Daniel, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we'll get to Daniel soon enough. All right. Who's living in Babylon. All right. Can't wait. All right. Until next week. See you.